let me go ahead and lead us in prayer before we open God's Word together this morning. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you gave the gift of your Son, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we might even now be children of yours, and that we can call out to you as our Father in heaven. We pray that as our Father, that you would take your word this morning and that you would discipline us in your love if there is need for discipline, that you would lift our head, the kind Heavenly Father, if there is the need for our head to be lifted, that you would provide comfort where there is need of comfort, encouragement, or need of encouragement, love if there is need of being renewed, sustained by your love. We pray that you would tend to each one of your children as we have need, as what is best for our soul for this next hour. Take your word, speak it to us. We as children are listening. Open our ears, open our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. This is the Holy Inerrant word of God. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tents and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. What does it look like to live a life of faith, to walk the way of faith? As we looked at a little bit briefly last week, I think if we were to discuss that, we could go to a lot of different chapters in the Scriptures. We could go to a lot of different ideas in the Scriptures to bring them to bear. But surely one of them is here in Genesis 13, and The writer of Genesis is following this on the heels of Genesis 12 so that we might see Abram as modeling before us a way of walking in the faith and what it looks like to walk in the faith. As we look at these different accounts throughout scriptures, we have kind of redemptive history that's being unfolded for us. But it's also true that what's being set before us are different examples that you and I are to look at and to glean from. Think about that, uh, especially this morning. Think about this being Father's Day and uh, think, this is my great desire as a father. I, I want to set before my children a, an example. I want to be able to say to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and I want them to be able to look at my life and to be able to say that, you know, our dad wasn't perfect. He didn't do a lot of things well a lot of the time. But we know he loved the Lord. We know that he was walking after the Lord. And we saw growth in his faith and growth in his walk as he pursued the Lord. And he set a model before us. It's my great prayer as a father. Abram is an example of such. When we think of different faithful examples in the scripture, Abram has to be one of the first that jumps to mind. And yet you'll remember that in Genesis 12, he had just gone down to Egypt and he had been unfaithful to the Lord. He had forsaken the Lord. He had operated in fear instead of faith. Now he's going back to the land and he is going to be gripped with faith instead of fear. And so I want to look at his life this morning from Genesis 13 and look at it in three ways. First, living in faith means trusting the Lord as you turn back to the Lord. Second, living in faith means trusting the Lord as you live in generosity. And third, living in faith means trusting the Lord as you live beyond what you see. So first, living in faith means trusting the Lord as you turn back to the Lord. Abram has just been gripped by fear in Egypt and he has turned away from the Lord. And and now he's going back to the land And he's going to be gripped by faith. And it's instructive what he does when he returns back to the land. He goes back to the places that he had walked with the Lord, where he had been with the Lord, and where he had been led to worship the Lord, to build an altar, and to pray, and to worship God. Where he had experienced God. He is on the path of revival And that is a good reminder to us. 
doesn't mean just because that he was fearful in Egypt that he's forever disqualified. No, he is able to return back to the Lord in revival. He is trusting the Lord as he turns back to him. And that is part of walking in faith. Because our faith falters. And when the soul is languishing, it's often helpful to return back to where it was that we were nourished in the Lord. Where we came to know Him. This one who we have come to know. and What we have experienced in knowing Him. Reminding ourselves of that. And kind of reviving ourselves. And refreshing ourselves. And resetting ourselves in faith after Him. Lee and I, a number of years ago, went back to uh, Charleston, Illinois. Charleston, Illinois is the home of Eastern Illinois University. The Fighting Panthers. And it was there that I wrote amazing poetry and sang incredible love songs and beat off a horde of young men that were seeking to take her away and make her life miserable. And I gained her love and her affection. So we went back, I don't know, 20-some years later, and we were walking the campus, and it was, it was delightful go back to all these little spots where I have memories and she had memories of, oh, do you remember this day that we spent together on the campus? And we were at this spot. It was a wonderful day, but it wasn't just those spots we went to. I desperately loved my wife and all due respect to her. I met my first love on that campus. And that's the Lord Jesus. And there were different spots on that campus that I remember incredibly spiritually alive times and moments that I came to new realizations about Him and that I experienced what it meant to walk in Christ for the first time. There was this one little hill that I especially wanted to go see. It was outside my dorm room because I remember a sunny spring afternoon and sitting on that hill waiting for Leah to emerge from her class. And I remember looking at the sun and thinking, the sun's never shined as brilliant as it does today. I remember looking at the the green grass and thinking, I've never seen the grass this green before. I remember watching all of these different students file out of these buildings and walk on the paths of that campus. And I remember just being filled with this, this burden of love for them and wanting every single one of them to come to know Christ. I remember sitting on that hill that day and thinking, I have never experienced joy in my life like I'm experiencing it right now. Why? Because I was looking at the world with the eyes of faith. And I was experiencing joy in the Lord like nothing I'd experienced before. Our eyes grow dim. And it's good sometimes to go back, literally or figuratively, to where the Lord stoked the fires in our souls where He met with us, where He ministered to us, where He grew us in grace and faith. Abram's doing this. 
He's going back to where he had worshipped God, where he had erected altars. And after his failure in Egypt, he is now operating in faith. And as we see there, we're told he called upon the name of the Lord. He's going back there and he's calling out to God. And he's worshipping him again. He's worshipping him afresh and anew and renewed. Living in faith often requires revival. It often requires reviving. Because we languish. It's helpful to go back, either literally or figuratively, to go back to those things that He's used to feed us before. Maybe that's a, a good book that you read that the Lord just used to encourage you in Christ. Maybe that was some journal that you kept early in your faith journey and you can go back and read as different gospel truths came to bear upon your soul that you didn't know before and because the gospel has grown old and stale to you now. You need to be revived. You need to be reminded of how beautiful it is that the Son of God would come to earth and that He would live and that He would die, suffer, be buried and resurrected for you. And you need to be refreshed. I said to you in one of those pastoral videos we sent out uh, earlier a couple of months ago that it's a good practice every day to find something that refreshes your soul in Christ. To find a way to refresh yourself every day. To, to live in a continual state of revival in Christ. Seeking to, to encourage my soul. To seek after him more and more. That's what Abram's doing here. And he needed this not only because of what he had done in Egypt, but because of what he was about to experience. This revival is about to be tested and it's about to be tried. Because Abram and Lot are both in the land in disagreement, he writes. And it's fascinating. The reason why is because they were both exceedingly successful. Verse 2 tells us that Abraham was not only rich, but that he was, quote, very rich. He had silver, he had gold, he had herds and livestock, and so did Lot. And their livestock is brushing up against one another. They are so blessed that they are prosperous beyond prosperous. That's not a bad thing. God has blessed them. But often, prosperity causes conflict in families. It's one of the saddest things that I've witnessed as a pastor is to watch multiple families after someone has died in their family, then to watch the family members fight over the estate and who's going to get what. We're both, as one commentator said, severely blessed. Severely blessed. And from this severe blessing, their herdsmen begin to fight, and they fight over these limited grazing lands. Their herds brushing up against each other, success can do this. But notice what this revived faith allows Abraham to do. And that's second. Living in faith means trusting the Lord as you live generously. Trusting the Lord as you live generously. The conflict is severe enough that Abraham feels like something has to be done. This conflict has to be ended. And so, verse 8, 
He says, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not, it's not the whole land before you. Here's a man of faith, and he's operating in faith. It's impacting his life. Peace between brothers before personal agendas. That's a major emphasis of this little account in the life of, of Abram. That living the life of faith means being peaceable. Seeking peace among the people of God. This is a dominant theme of living in faith throughout the Scriptures. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, Strive for peace with everyone. James says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers and the Beatitudes, for they are the sons of God. If you want to be a son of God, walk as a son of God in this world, then you are a peacemaker. You're peaceable. Extending peace. It's an act of generosity, and that's what Abraham does here. Notice, though, that the humility that it took for him to extend peace, to be generous in this way. Notice the humility. He's the older man, so he has age. He's not only the older man and has age, but he is the uncle, and so he has familial status and he has social status. But not only does he have age, and not only does he have that familial and social status, but he is the reason that they're both blessed. He's God's man. He has the spiritual authority. But not only that, but this land is his. God promised it to him. He has the age. He has the familial and social status. He has the spiritual status. He has the promise of God. And yet, he doesn't stand upon his own rights. He operates in humility. His living in faith allows him to be generous. He says, Lot, you choose. You choose the left, I'll go to the right. You choose the right, I'll go to the left. Peace between brothers before personal agendas. And generosity makes that possible. And faith makes generosity possible. Why? Well, before we look at that, I want you to, to recognize this, that sometimes, as we see here, there must be separation for peace. Sometimes brothers have to separate to maintain peace. We're not to be cavalier about separating from the people of God, but there are times that brothers are to se separate for the sake of peace. Not every Christian friend is going to continue to be a friend. Not every confidant should be a confidant. Not every member of a local church should necessarily stay in that local church forever. Sometimes, for the sake of peace, Brothers separate. 
but we must be careful. As Calvin once said, much separatism comes from pride rather than holiness. We believe we are right or have the right, and so we stand ready to club those who disagree with us. Machen, who was no wallflower, Machen was the founder of Westminster Theological Seminary and was the founder of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, split both of those things off, the Presbyterian Church in the United States and uh, away from Princeton Theological Seminary because it had gone liberal theologically, he said this, no wallflower. He said, it's quite useless to approach a man with both a club and an argument. He will very naturally be in no mood to appreciate your argument until we lay aside our club. Abraham has no such club. He just approaches this with humility. His faith allows him to respond in humility and with kindness and with patience and with generosity. These are not the enemies of leadership. These aren't the enemies of strength. These aren't the enemies of being Christ-like. Humility and kindness and patience and generosity are not quote-unquote just feminine virtues. They're fruit of the Spirit. what it means in part to be walking in the faith to be Christ like and here is a father worth imitating because he's Christ like you think about the scene and you think Abraham's herdsmen surely pressed him Abraham this is your land. Abraham, you are the reason that we're so blessed. Abraham, you are his uncle. Abraham, you are older than him. This is your land. You should take it. No small thing not to stand upon your rights when your tribe is cheering you on. Before the eyes of those that are of ilk with you and of your people, what will, what will they think? Abraham, to fold the lot would be a sign of weakness. Be strong, Abraham. Friends, refusing to stand upon our rights is often the greatest way to show strength. It's not the world's way. But it's the way of faith. It takes a strong individual to operate with humility and sacrifice and generosity. It is the strongest of men who are the humblest of men. Love what Bruce Walke said when he was talking about this passage. He said, the social superior humbles himself before the inferior to preserve peace thereby proving himself the spiritual superior. Abraham's faith gives him the freedom to be generous. And isn't that what you often find? That this is one of the great gifts of faith. It frees you up. 
It frees you up from restraints. It frees you up to be generous. Why? Because there's trust involved. He trusts God. Abraham's trusting God. And so he doesn't need to manipulate. He doesn't need to cajole. He doesn't need to assert. He doesn't need to seize. In faith, he's trusting God. And it allows him to be generous. David will have Saul before him in that cave. David, you are the man. This band of mighty men are around him. You're the man, David. You've been anointed the next king of Israel. And this man's seeking your death. And God has providentially brought him before you. You can strike him down. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I trust God. Jesus, the crowd is ready. They are ready to take you into Jerusalem and enthrone you. We could march right into the temple right now. There is a groundswell and you could avoid the cross and you could avoid the suffering. Not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He trusts God. And it allows him to be generous. For our sake. He who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, that he might suffer to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's the man. And that trusting in God allows him to be generous. To be generous. To be generous. Our love for one another. And our thoughts about one another. And our expectations of one another. And our forgiveness of one another. Faith allows you to do that, and you are getting plenty of opportunity to do that right now. So many controversies in the church and among the family of God would dissipate and disappear and even be discouraged from ever starting if we, but in faith, trusted God and lived generously. Faith is not simply for Sunday mornings, my friend. It's a way of life. And that way of life allows you to be generous with those around you. Lot has no such faith, or it's a small faith if he does. He looks at the land and he just seeks to take the best. And that takes us to our third point, our final point. Living in faith means trusting the Lord as you live beyond what you can see. We're meant to see the contrast between these two here in this passage and 
verse 12, the author makes it very clear. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And he says, Lot lifted up his eyes. Lot is just looking at what is before him. He sees all that could be there, and he chooses by his eyes. He is delighted by what his eyes see, and our eyes are absolutely poor guides. And the author of Genesis is providing all kinds of hints, warning signs for us. He compares the valley to the garden where there was definitely abundance in the Garden of Eden, but there was also temptation. He says that the land that Lot saw, that it looked like the land of Egypt, that land of adultery. And then he foreshadows with mentioning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says that Lot pitched his tent as close to Sodom as possible, which he tells us in verse 13, was filled with wicked men, great sinners against God. And then as icing on the cake, we're told that Lot set out to go east. And that's meant to take you all the way back to Genesis 3 and be reminded that, Cain, that Adam and Eve, when they were cast out of the garden, were cast out to the east. And the cherubim were sent to guard the way into the garden on the east side. It's, it's, it's the way of wandering. It's the way of alienation from God. That's the path you're on, Lot. You forgot that you're a pilgrim in this world, and you've set your eyes on the things that you see, and it's leading you away from God. And it's leading you to the city of destruction. You could only see all the promises of greater wealth and greater security. I wonder how often we do the same do it often when we're especially making big decisions in life. We will ask all kinds of questions. Will this provide a greater opportunity for advancement, better education for our children, more discretionary income for travel and hobbies, allow for less stress, give me an opportunity to pursue what I'm good at, to use my gifts, my talents, my education? Will this get me nearer family? Do I like the climate? All fine questions. Even good questions. But not the most important questions. They are a far distant second. The most important question that you and I could ask when we are facing these monumental life decisions is, is this best for my faith and for the kingdom? Is what I am trying to decide right now, the choice that I am making, is it best for my faith and for the kingdom? I think we especially have to remind ourselves of that as we live in what is probably the most transitory society that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And then we live in a university town beyond that where we got people coming in and going out, people coming in and going out, people coming in and going out. This would be a good thing to ask one another. 
help these college students and grad students and international students and scholars to think through? Here's the most important question. Is this good for your faith and for the kingdom? I'm amazed that we will make decisions about where we are going to live and what job we are going to take, and we will line up all of those things. We'll look at the education of our children. Will that work there? Is there a grocery store down the street, etc.? And then once we've made the decision, then it dawns on us, what church am I going to attend? That should be the very first question. What is best for my faith and for the kingdom? And that's shaping everything else. I wonder what a generation of Christians thinking along those lines could do for the sake of the gospel. How dynamic the church could be if we were asking that question first. All the rest are important, but a distant second to that question. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added to you, Jesus said. Living in faith means looking, trusting the Lord as you live beyond what you can see. We don't have time to look at this morning, but if we were to look at it, we would see that Abram is not losing anything. He's blessed beyond blessed. He already has these promises from God that will become covenantal promises as we move on to Genesis 15 and, and then see them signified and sealed in the sacrament in Genesis 17. But these promises, he's already promised him that he's going to multiply his descendants, that he's going to make him a great nation. But now God says to him, look, I'm going to make you so great that your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. He multiplies it. He extends it. He expands it. He says to him, not only is this your land, but this is your land for you and for your children. And come with me, Abram. Look north, look south, look east, look west, and I'm going to walk you through the land. All of this is yours. More than you even thought I had promised to you. Those who trust God and look to Him in faith never walk away disappointed. Never. Never. May we live in faith, trusting the Lord as we turn back to Him time and time again. May we live in faith, trusting the Lord, living in generosity. May we live in faith, trusting the Lord, living beyond what we can see. Let's walk in faith together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do exalt you this afternoon. Thankful that you are a God who gives faith to your people. And that we can, in this faith, turn to you and trust time and time again. Oh, our faith is weak and frail. That that faith not only gives us insight into living with you and trusting in you, but that it gives us the ability to live in generosity with those around us. It informs our life with those around us. 
And not only that, but this faith which you've given to us not only instructs us in our relation with you and our relation with others, but in our relation with the world. As we see ourselves as pilgrims in this land and look beyond what we can merely see with our physical eyes. May we be people that walk in faith to your glory and praise. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.